these teens are teaching their parents about the importance of strategic philanthropy. From the Jewish Teen Funders Network, this is Outside the Sadaka Box, the Jewish teen engagement and philanthropy education podcast. I am your host, Danielle Siegel. Each episode, we will have a conversation with an amazing guest who will share their unique stories and help us explore the broader world of Jewish teen engagement and philanthropy education. I'm delighted to introduce our guest for today's episode. Laura Lauder is a social entrepreneur and venture philanthropist, focusing on signature initiatives that she has designed and launched with experts and other philanthropists. Laura serves on numerous nonprofit boards and committees, including co-founding the Jewish Teen Funders Network's Foundation Board Incubator that develops community-based teen philanthropy programs throughout North America, Australia, and Israel. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for joining us. Danielle, it's such a pleasure to be with you. You are such a rock star in this field, and you are really the expert. So thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Firstly, how are you doing? How is everything? Well, you know, I'm, I'm on the board of the Jim Joseph Foundation, and we were just uh, discussing the implications of this crisis on each one of us personally. And I have to say that I chose the word overwhelmed. I mean, I am so overwhelmed with tragedy, with the horrors. It is overwhelming. And yet, and yet, there are so many wonderful philanthropists and programs and, and initiatives that are helping so many. And I'm just touched to see the outpouring of support from the Jewish community and from all of us who we have an opportunity, an obligation, a responsibility to help those in need. And so for that, I'm very grateful. So a main focus of yours, or one that is very near and dear to our hearts at JTFN, is your work with Jewish teen philanthropy and in the world of Jewish teen foundations. What was it that inspired you to do that work? How did you even start in that field? You know, whenever a philanthropist gets involved in something that is, frankly, outside of their, of their expertise, often it is because of their children and that that was the case for me. So I had this hope and desire to raise mentions. And the only way to really think about doing that is to use a Jewish framework for values. And we're so fortunate to have that framework. And as a result, as they were going to the Jewish Day School in Palo Alto called the Gideon Hausner Jewish Day School, I spoke with many of the folks there who were passionate about philanthropy. And what they all agreed and we funded was a seventh grade Avodah Le'olam project work of the world. And so now, and, and ever since that, those early, early days, here we are 25 years later almost, the school has included youth philanthropy as a part of the Bar Mitzvah program. And then from there, we went to a San Francisco-based teen philanthropy program, and it grew from there. You just now mentioned values. Are there any particular Jewish values that are guiding you at the moment? You know, the, the idea of chesed, of, of kindness, and, and the idea of olam, of, of, of repairing the world, and, and, and the Jewish value of responsibility and kavod, of respect, those are all part of what a teen philanthropist needs to, to use as a part of their decision-making process. So 
practicing that skill, using those values and practicing the skill of utilizing them makes a team aware and frankly, very appreciative that we have what we have and how we can be more for others. You were absolutely vital and instrumental in us starting our foundation board incubator, which incubates 10 new Jewish teen philanthropy programs across the world. So what was it that made you kind of look at what was happening in the field and say, I want to help start some new programs and make them the the best that they can be? So when I was watching our own children go through the San Francisco-based program, which is now almost 20 years old, I watched them really engage with their peers, really have to have tough conversations and to make decisions by consensus, have to lead the group in grading off the decisions of whether or not to support their close friends' ideas or actually doing something that they might say is something far more compelling. And so having those tough dilemmas with regard to making these kinds of decisions made me realize that in order to grapple and struggle, which is the nature of Judaism, surrounded by the framework of values, that this idea should be spread across the world. And if we have shown that excellence can be achieved in one program, let's see if we can achieve the same level of excellence in other programs all over the world. And so we had to find the best and the brightest, and that's how we found you, Danielle. And we found Wayne Green, who is fantastic. And as a result, the Maimonides Foundation and I were able to work together to roll this out with standards of excellence that implemented, as you just said, Danielle, those values in every single implementation of this program. And that that value of excellence is really, um, I think it's made such a huge difference. I'm looking at the people that we work with and the wonderful professionals who work within the Foundation Board Incubator, and they are so dedicated to the program and they're so wonderful at what they do. It's just incredibly inspiring, um, the work that they put in and that they are continuing what is now kind of a, a tradition of Jewish teen philanthropy and, and kind of carrying the programs forward. Great, you've, you've nailed it. And, and what you've said is so critically important. In the real estate business, there are three key elements, location, location, and location. In the philanthropy business, it's all about management, 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 which means who is running the enterprise? How, what are the standards of excellence that are going to be implemented? What are the values that those leaders are going to be implementing? That's why we invest in leaders like yourself, like Wayne, and like the, the leaders of all of these team philanthropy programs across the world. And that's why you two are so critically important is because the two of you help then these leaders in all of these cities to raise their standards to, to make sure that what they're implementing for the students is best in class. Recently, we published our long-term impact report, which was based on the communities in the Foundation Board Incubator, which had some fantastic findings about how participants retained what they had learned and how just after the program, they felt a heightened sense of Jewish identity. And then a couple of years after the programs, they retained that sense of Jewish identity. 
were you happy with the outcomes of the report? Was it what you expected? Did it exceed your expectations? It, it not only exceeded my expectations, but frankly, I wouldn't have expected any less because when you all are implementing it at the level that you are, I should have known. I love the individual stories, the young people who have come out of this and educated their parents. I love in particular the stories that I have heard from the Israel implementation. There are 675 participants who participated in our teen philanthropy program through the Israel Association of Community Centers last year. And with 14 boards in 14 different communities, with 675 participants, these teens are teaching their parents in Israel about the importance of strategic philanthropy. That to me is a massive impact and I'm thrilled to see it. Do your children still talk to you about their experience of being in a philanthropy program? Does that still resonate with them? No, it's so interesting that you asked that, Danielle, because here's what's really happened. We started our children in at Bar and Bat Mitzvah age, where instead of gifts, they requested that their guests at their Bar and Bat Mitzvah donate to a youth philanthropy fund at the Jewish Community Federation of San Francisco. And it was really just a donor-advised fund that they then would allocate over the next five years while they were still living at home from 13 to 18. And each year of those five years, they would put in an amount and we would match it. So we would have a little pot and the kids would take turns each year leading that grant round. And we would do it on Thanksgiving. They would have to set the criteria and do the research. Now, why were they capable of doing that? Because of at their Jewish day school, and because of their participation in a team philanthropy program at San Francisco Federation. And so that has lasted until this day. Now our son is 25. He just got engaged. We're so thrilled. Muscle top. <laughs> and what's beautiful is now he and his fiance are working together to help set the grant round criteria for this year. And so we'll be doing it again this year at Thanksgiving, even if we have to do it by Zoom. But every year we have done this and they are now even more experienced, frankly, than I am because what they've done is they followed the model of the giving circle that has been a model of our program since the very beginning. the program, a lot of the teens go through this cycle where they learn about how to be a strategic philanthropist. So what are your strategies as a philanthropist? Do you have any golden rules that you use or any particular patterns or strategies that you like implementing yourself? Yes, absolutely. So strategies for me mean a pathway to try to get to an ultimate goal. And for me, the ultimate goal is 99% of the time, something that wouldn't otherwise be able to happen if I weren't involved with my unique skills or my unique network or my unique situation, which is a very narrow area, right? I'm, I'm humble enough to realize that I have unique skills, but they are minute in comparison to, to what they could be or what most others have. And so I have to focus where I can be impactful. And I don't have the ego to think that I could do way more than, than I'm really capable of doing. And I'm thrilled to be engaged in very narrowly focused, high impact, scalable projects. 
And then I have to have a vision that I can find partners who also care about it. And so in this case, Maimonides Fund was very interested in doing this as well. And so I love partnering with others. So finding partners is a key element to anything I get involved in. So those, I would say, are my key criteria. Hearing that, that makes a lot of sense when we're looking at the Foundation Board Incubator, because what was it? It was a very deep investment in these 10 wonderful communities who needed that extra boost to really start off their program so that they could then grow and flourish and do all the wonderful work that they are doing. And we knew that we were going to take these best practices from the field and hand them to the incubators. The wonderful thing that happened is that because we were able to nurture them and because they really put the time and effort into the work, they helped raise the bar for the rest of the field of Jewish teen philanthropy. So they've served such a vital role in the overall field of Jewish teen philanthropy. And we know that this is a fairly niche area, Jewish teen philanthropy. So to invest in these 10 communities was such a value add to our field. So when you're saying that you were looking for gaps that you could fill, that was such a wonderful moment because that was definitely a gap as far as being a catalyst for new programs. And you were instrumental in not starting just one, but 10. (laughs) So the impact is huge. And I would say it's not just 10. Look at what's going on in Israel. I mean, not just in one city in Israel. It's going to be expanding throughout the entire country. You are involved in several initiatives. You sit on many boards and committees. And I noticed something that's actually on your website is that you have a section called Lesson Learned. And I love this because I love the notion that we are always learning. And no matter what you do, even if it doesn't quite work out how you want it, it is still a lesson learned. And in your initiatives that you are involved in, was there something that you learned that you didn't expect? Well, uh, thank you for mentioning our website at uh, lauderfamilyfund.org. I I love posting things on the website about lessons learned, but there is one lesson that I didn't put up there. And and it's really, it was a lesson in failure that I think actually resonates for everyone. And that is how much risk you take and whether or not you cut your losses or you keep pushing or, or how you handle it. And I'll tell you what it was. I have the audacity to think that we could create actually a Jewish podcast for millennials, a millennial podcast that would encourage millennials to think about Jewish life in every kind of aspect, from food to what you wear, to all kinds of things. And so we tried to bring in guests, so chefs from some of the top Israeli restaurants or or some of the most famous designers uh, of, of clothes and ask them what was their Jewish experiences in their lives to sort of stimulate millennials to think about wow, really successful people are Jewish and just in areas that I actually am really interested in and care about. And so maybe that will stimulate me too. Well, it was a smashing failure. (laughs) And and not because the people who were interviewed weren't successful. They were fantastic. But I have to say that we we put together a couple of episodes. We had a a bunch of focus groups of millennials and they said, "Ah, not, eh." 
not that interesting. I mean, the people are really interesting, but it doesn't really stipulate me to want to go investigate more about Judaism. So we had to pull the plug. And, and it was really because even though we had this big idea, we didn't really know how to reach Jewish millennials in ways to stimulate them to investigate more about their Jewish identity just by these sort of um, topics that we knew that they were interested in. It just didn't quite work. And, and my lesson was, don't be so smart. I, I overestimated what we could do, and it was a risk, and we tried it, but it, it didn't work. And so it made me very humbly realize that there are lots and lots of, of things that we can all try in this world, and we should try, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be successful. So that, that was a great lesson. And I think sometimes when we, when we fail or we don't quite make it, sometimes that's when we do our best learning. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Looking at those times when you have felt really successful in any of your initiatives, how do you like to measure impact? How do you like to see, oh, well, this is, has been a success. I'm really happy with this. I want to scale this. How do you measure that impact? Well, so for example, um, take Delet. So Delet is, is the Hebrew word for door. And it was a program that I started about 20 years ago called Day School Leadership Through Teaching. So it was like a Jewish Teach for America. And that was exactly our question. If we create a Jewish Teach for America, who will participate and what impact will it have? And so we ended up with 150 applications for 20 spots our very first year of the Delet program, which was a one-year teaching internship and fellowship where we pay young people $25,000 to participate in the program. And at the end of it, they get not only a master's degree, but also a teaching credential. And then they stay. And that was how we decided to measure it. Should we measure it based on how many teachers we train or how many teachers we train based in terms of how long they stay in the field or do they stay in Jewish life in some way? And what we decided to do is measure based on the latter. I would say that evaluating success, you have to decide what are your criteria, but make them broad enough so that you can actually see the ripple effects of whatever the, the program is. And that's one of the reasons why we will do longitudinal evaluations of our Jewish Teen Foundation program so that we can understand what happens to these kids over time. I think it's so fascinating how sometimes we just need to turn some things on their head. You know, the obvious answer would be, let's just count how many teachers are going through our program and that's what we're gonna use as a measure. But you went one stage deeper. It wasn't, oh, let's just see how many, how many tushies on seats. It's actually how many stayed involved and for how many years. So that kind of deep intentionality about, is it sustainable? Is it sustained? Has it had a lasting impact? I think that's actually really inspiring as far as how we do philanthropy and how we can cultivate the feeling of, of Jewish identity. It's, it's not just about numbers. It's not just about the quantitative, but there's also the qualitative in there as well. And I think it's actually very refreshing to hear from that side that it is that combination. It's not just numbers. And in fact, it's not just um, how many stay engaged, but how many actually attain a level of leadership. 
So once back to that, you know, real estate is location, location, location. And in philanthropy, we want management, 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 and really leadership, leadership, leadership. We want to identify young people who can become future leaders. So I think it's a great leadership track as well for, uh, for, for these young people. And now that the field has been going now for a couple of decades now, we're now seeing people who were team participants, and now they're actually program leaders. So they've come full circle. They've grown up. They've come of age. They are now Jewish professionals. And now they are leading the younger generation in this program. Formative experiences as a team and and then beyond literally help you launch into leadership in everything else you do, not just in the Jewish world, but of course, in all of the elements of your professional life. And so I'm just so thrilled that uh, that all of these young people through these team philanthropy programs, and we'll, we'll have touched how many, Danielle? We'll have touched thousands by the time we're done, especially if you include all the folks in Israel. Absolutely. You know, these programs, some of them have multi-year programs. So these teens are coming back for multiple experiences. They're getting new cohorts of teens every year. So we have hundreds of teens going through these programs every year. So really that that ripple effect that you mentioned earlier, uh, it's very real and it's very tangible. I'd love to just say to you, Danielle, it has been such a privilege and an honor to work with you, to work with Wayne, and to work with the Maimonides Fund, who have been phenomenal partners. I want to say a special thank you to all of the communities and the partners who have been a part of our program. Every single community has created something so special in their own community. Toronto, Melbourne, Boston, Detroit, San Diego, Philadelphia, Houston, Indianapolis, Seattle, and now Israel. Each one of these communities have implemented this program in their own unique, special way, found their own funders, and then ultimately are now going to be running it after our multiple years of funding is over. And I'm just so thrilled that any of these cities we go to, I'm sure that we will find great young teens who have just done a phenomenal job and are now the future leaders of those communities. Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today and really allowing us a little glimpse into all the wonderful work that you do. Thank you, Danielle. It's really been a pleasure. If you would like to listen to any of our episodes, you can listen on our website, jtfn.org, or subscribe on whichever podcast platform you like listening to. So that's all from us for today. Thank you, Danielle. Really fun. And we will see everybody next time. Outside the Sedaka Box is produced by the Jewish Teen Funders Network, the central resource for the network of Jewish teen philanthropy programs in North America and internationally. To find out more, visit our website at jtfn.org. Thank you for listening and look out for our next episode coming soon. Don't forget to subscribe. Until then, bye friends.